Now, I'm glad you're here, glad you're with us. My name's Scott. Uh, oftentimes, if, by the way, if you're new with us, oftentimes you'll hear me up here, but sometimes you hear one of our elders. Rob Gleghorn did an amazing job last week talking about spiritual gifts. Mac Owen will be preaching next week. You don't want to miss that as well. But today you're stuck with me, and I hope you'll enjoy what we have to talk about because it's not about me. It's about God's holy word. We are looking at Romans chapter 8 because we've been going through a series where we're calling it Bible Favorites, looking at some scriptures or actually whole chapters that might be considered a favorite. At least they are for me. Maybe they will be for you as well. And Romans 8 is toward the very top of my list. I just love it. Now, I'll tell you this. We cannot, myself or Mac or anybody else that would be preaching, none of us can really thoroughly cover a whole chapter in 35 minutes. But I want to share, share with you some of the highlights out of it and hopefully kind of whet your appetite and make you go, wow, man, God's Word is awesome. When I get home, I want to study that more and read over that and maybe, you know, dig into it and meditate on it, spend some time in it. But I hope that as we zoom in a little bit on a few pieces of Romans 8 today, that God can speak to you through it. Uh, what we are looking at today is powerful. So if you have your Bible, turn to Romans 8. It is the middle of a 16-chapter book, the 8th chapter out of 16. It's written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote roughly half of the New Testament. He wrote 13 of the 27 books. Paul was also Saul. I'll explain that in a minute. Same guy, two different names. He was a Roman devout Jewish Pharisee who at one point, uh, at one point thought that Jesus and all of his renegade followers were a bunch of fakes and hypocrites and you know, false teachers, and they needed to be persecuted. They actually needed to be put to death or even put in prison at least, something along that line. And so Saul, later to become known as Paul, did a lot of that. In fact, he was there when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned, and Paul basically was given thumbs up like, yeah, that's, that's a good thing. And, and all of that continued until Jesus himself one day, what? we got kind of a ring. Anyway, until Jesus one day came to to Saul on the road to Damascus in a miraculous bright light and voice to inform him of the truth. And, and in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, we see where Jesus said to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul did a 180. He repented. That's what repentance is all about, meaning doing a 180. He turned and went in a new direction, became a different guy, became one of the greatest missionaries for Jesus this world has ever seen. And Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wrote numerous letters to different churches or groups of Christians to, uh, to help people understand more of what Jesus needed from them or wanted in their life, wanted for them. And so one of these letters was called the Book of Romans, or that's what we call it today. He wrote it to the church in Rome, and we call it the Book of Romans. He wrote it for the Christians in that church which were mostly Gentiles. There were some Jewish Christians, but also mostly Gentile Christians, which just simply means non-Jews. So you and I, pretty much all of us, I would assume, are all Gentiles and Christians in that respect. Again, this is a 16-chapter book, and chapter 8, therefore, is, of course, a high point in that it is in the middle of the book, but it's also a high point in terms of some content, some incredible content. It's an awesome chapter that kind of begins and ends with something I want to at least emphasize. And we'll talk about the middle part of it a little bit, but we don't have time to go into all that. But 
the chapter begins with the idea that there is no condemnation. And it ends with the fact that there is no separation. No condemnation and no separation. And I want to talk about or help you see what God wants us to understand about these awesome concepts. Again, there's so much more awesomeness in this book than we have time to get to, but there's some great stuff I hope you can enjoy looking at, and hopefully it'll inspire you to want to go home and read it even some more later today. So let's begin. Romans chapter 8. After that little background, here we go. Here's how the book begins or the chapter begins. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. All right, the first word in the chapter is the word therefore. And that always indicates a connection to a previous thought. I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad was a preacher. and He always said over and over and over, if you ever see the word therefore, make sure you know what it is there for. And so we need to understand in, in, in short that when Paul begins the chapter with that word, he's talking or he's pointing back to things that he said previously. First of all, in chapter 7, he's talking about the victory that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. And really, in a broader sense, he's referring to the salvation that only comes through Jesus, as he explains throughout the book of Romans, especially chapters 3, 4, and 5. So he's talking about all that, and he says, now, therefore, based on all of that, which we're not really able, of course, to get into today, based on all of that about the salvation that comes through Jesus, therefore, there is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. And he'll end in a little bit, which we'll see in about 25 minutes, with the fact that there is no separation as well. But this idea that there is no longer any condemnation for those who are, quote, in Christ Jesus, in other words, those who have believed in Him and trusted in Him, this is an incredible thought, a thought designed by Almighty God to encourage the people in Rome of that day and all of us today as well here and around the world that there is nothing that can separate us from His love and there is no condemnation for us if we are in Christ Jesus. And it's something that should inspire us, excite us, heck, maybe even make you want to do a cartwheel. Are you ready? Backflip off of the stage. Here we go. Okay, maybe not. When I, was, when I was in fifth grade, I tried to do that to impress a girl. I was on some steps, and I thought, well, that makes it easier. If I do a backflip off of here, there's more room to unwind, so that'll work better. Anyway, I ended up cracking three ribs and breaking my uh, collarbone, so I don't think I'll try that today. But it is something to get excited about. You see... Many Christians struggle with feeling condemned and desperately need to understand what God wants to say in this passage. Many Christians are eaten alive with unnecessary guilt because Satan uses their past mistakes and their present failures to make them question what God has done in their life. Like, okay, you know, that sounds good for a Sunday school lesson or a church service, but come on, get real. Of course you're condemned. You don't deserve forgiveness. Think of who you are. I mean, maybe all these people don't know what you have done. And you hear that little voice in the back of your head telling you things like this. And you think this passage applies to those people or a pastor or an elder or whatever, a saint type person, but not you. The devil wants to rub our noses in the mistakes that we've made in the past even though God has clearly told us over and over that He, when He forgives us, He does what we cannot do, which is forget our sin. 
Look at this. Let me show you two of several verses in Scripture that say similar things. In Isaiah 43, God says this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. Remembers it no more. Hebrews 10, 17 similarly says, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. When we seek forgiveness, as God encourages and teaches us in Scripture, when we seek that and are forgiven by the Lord, then our loving God not only forgives our sins, He again does what you and I cannot do, and that is He forgets them. He, now, not that He's got, you know, the onset of Alzheimer's or something like that. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient. He knows all, but He can do what you and I cannot do, which is choose to relegate certain things to the realm of don't need to remember that, not going to remember that, let it go. You and I aren't very good at that. The things I try to make sure I don't ever forget are the things I do forget. The things that I like, oh, don't remember that, let it go, let it go. Those are the things that just plague me and haunt me and roll around in my head over and over. That's being human. But God is not human in that way at all. And He forgets. He chooses to forget things in a way that is powerful for us. I mean, so our past sins are gone if we are in Christ Jesus, Paul says. But get this, so are our present sins as well. Although the devil desperately tries to rub our noses in those as well. You know, Satan is the master of lies. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. Um, masquerading even as an angel of light. And, and as the father of all lies, he, he whispers all kinds of untruth things in your ears. Like, maybe he would say hesitantly, like, okay, well, maybe, just maybe God has forgiven you of that stuff you did a long time ago. Probably not, but maybe, maybe. But that stuff you're struggling with now, that you're tempted by, that maybe you gave into yesterday... Come on, be real. God doesn't forgive you of that. There's no way He's going to let that go. You did it yesterday or five minutes ago. Come on, He's not going to forgive you of that. But look at Romans 8 again. Read it with me. What does it say? Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Everybody say that, those two words. No condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, none, nada, zip, zilch, whatever word you can come up with, there is zero, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God means what he says through the Apostle Paul here, and we need to trust it, we need to believe it, we need to stand on it. Now, let me take just a few minutes and explain something, because this can be misunderstood. This does not mean, I am not preaching that sin is no big deal, that we can treat sin like a no big deal deal, you know, continuing to sin without thinking twice about it, like, yeah, whatever, you know, there's no condemnation, I'd do whatever I want. Romans chapter 6, just a couple of pages earlier, Paul says, what shall we then say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Just because we are saved by God's grace does not mean that we should abuse it or take it for granted. It doesn't work that way. That is making a mockery of God's grace. Anybody who chooses or seeks to make a mockery of God by just saying, yeah, well, you know, since he forgave me, I'll just do whatever the heck I want and not think twice about it. 
that, that's a very dangerous place to be. In fact, that person needs to also understand what God said through Paul in Galatians 6 when he said, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man or woman reaps what he sows. In fact, three times Jesus said this in John 14. In John 14, he said, If you love me, you will obey me. He said it three times in the same chapter. If you love me, really love me, you will obey me. You will want to and seek to obey me. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it means you are going to make it your goal, your effort, your desire to do the right thing, to please him. But even when we're there, despite our best efforts and desires to truly love our Lord and respond to him appropriately, we are all going to make mistakes at times. And it is the mistakes that we make a.k.a. sin that we commit, that the enemy wants to rub our noses in to the point that we are tempted to, and hopefully, in his mind, hopefully we will just give up, throw in the towel, walk away. Oh, that whole no condemnation thing, that's for other people. For me, I'm a mess. I'm a loser. Why am I even trying to pretend or fake it? Just throw in the towel and walk away. That's what the enemy wants. That's what he's trying to lead you to. And in those mindsets, when we struggle with the sin that is plaguing us, we need to come back to what he says in Romans 8. Because we can all relate to what Paul said in the chapter before, in Romans 7. Look at this. In Romans 7, verse 15, Paul said, I don't, this is the New Living Translation. Yours might read a little differently, but here's what he said. Paul said, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. Anybody relate to that? Been there. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. Not that he's making excuses. He just explains. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. And here's a key verse. I love God's law with all my heart. In other words, that's my focus but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom again we are told that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, praise God. You know, the point of this verse is really this, if you're to boil it down. Even though sin still lives in our bodies, leading us at times to do sinful things that we hate and feel terrible about, we can be assured that, there, that the sins that we commit will not condemn us because Christ has already died for them. Our present sins, our future sins included, just as much as he died for our past sins, if we are in Christ Jesus, in other words, if we have trusted in him, surrendered our lives to him. Look at what Paul said in Romans 6. He said, the death he died, Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. Once for all. Though we may still sin and need to repent when we do, we are justified by his blood. That's chapter 5, verse 9. And therefore, there is no penalty, there's no condemnation for us of any kind if we have repented in that respect. L listen to the words of Jesus. Listen to this. This is Jesus, again, 
you got to really make sure you listen closely to God's Word. A pastor is fallible. I, I will do my very best to point you to what God says, but I, just like a guy I read about from Texas yesterday who's totally messing up God's Word and leading his church astray, there are pastors all around the country that say things that are wrong, just wrong. And I'm, no, I'm not immune to that. I might be wrong about certain things, but where I'm quoting Scripture, I hope you can recognize that's just God's Word. So when I give you my opinion, take it with a grain of salt. I'm trying to do my best. But mostly the final say is in what God says. And look at what Jesus said in John 15. He said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my words and believes him, meaning God the Father, who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Those are the words of Jesus. Now, one more time, to be clear about something I've talked about before, let me explain this just briefly. Believing in Jesus, as you hear him talk about right here, he talks about those you know, who hear the word and believe in the Father who sent me, just similar to what he said in John 3.16, for you know, um, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. There are a lot of scriptures that talk about believing in God in that respect, but we need to be careful with that because in the English language, that can be misunderstood. Because James, the brother of Jesus, also said that even demons believe and shudder. And I don't think it takes a scholar to recognize demons are not saved. They're not going to heaven, and yet they believe. So we've got to be careful. So then, are, is belief the key or is it not? Well, it is believing to the extent that we do something about it, that we actually follow through, that we love Him. Jesus again said, what did He say? If you love me, you will obey me. If our belief leads us to a place of that, as opposed to being like the demons who believe intellectually, I know He exists, I believe in Him, that's different. That's not what He means. He means believe to the point that you put your money where your mouth is, you enact, you follow, you pursue, you surrender, you trust, these kinds of things. Listen, I'm not preaching that we are saved by works. Ephesians 2 makes it very clear we are saved by grace, not by works. But we are not, while we are not saved by works, we are saved for good works. And if there are no good works, if there's no fruit in a person's life, then that person needs to really look in the mirror and say, Lord, do I really believe in you the way you talk about in Scripture? Is my belief the kind of belief that saves, or am I more like the demons who believe you exist but don't really do anything about it? Jesus said you recognize a tree by its fruit. If it's not producing this kind of fruit, then it's not the kind of tree you think it is. There needs to be fruit. But okay, so move on from there. With that hopefully being understood, before we move on, I want to I encourage you. I don't want you to leave here feeling bad. I'm trying to talk about the fact that there's no condemnation and no separation. I want to encourage you, especially those of you who have given your life to the Lord, who have surrendered to Him, who have gone beyond just believing that He exists to believing in Him to the point that you have surrendered your life to Him and trusted in Him. Okay, so those are the people I want to talk to for just a minute. Let me ask you this. If you're that kind of person, if you're a Christian and you are not perfect, let's say you have some sin in your life at least some of the time, okay? So you're that kind of person. You're a Christian, but you're not perfect because you sin some of the time once in a while. Would you raise your hand? Come on, raise your hand. I got both my hands in the air because I'm right there with you. You know, I, I am a long, long way from being sinless. I, now, I seek to sin less all the time. 
And by the power of God and His Holy Spirit, I do sin less and less all the time. And I, I pray that He helps me continue to sin less and less and less. But that's very different than being sinless. I'm not sinless except by the blood of Jesus when God sees me as sinless because of what Jesus did for me. But that's my goal is to sin less and less and less. And here's my encouragement for you if you are also seeking to sin less, you're seeking to grow in your walk with the Lord, if you can relate to where I'm at or the struggles that Paul talked about in Romans 7, you know, the whole do-do passage about I don't do what I want to do and I do do what I don't want to do and all those things. If you can relate to any of that, can I encourage you to stand on the promise and the truth of God's holy word here at the beginning of Romans 8. We see this truth and promise throughout his holy word. Let me show you some other places. Romans 5 says, and hope, hope does not put us to shame. Shame is not what God wants for any of us because God's love has poured out has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul also said in 2 Corinthians 1, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set His seal. There's so much that could be said about this. His seal of ownership on us and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing guaranteeing what is to come. Too many Christians walk around in doubt and guilt and shame, questioning their salvation, struggling to believe what God tells us in His Word here. That again, therefore, say it one more time with me. Therefore, Romans 8, what? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, friends. Your Lord and Savior did not die on a cross so that you would have to walk around with your head down feeling guilty and shameful all the time. He died on a cross so that you could hold your head high, not because of who you are in and of yourself, but because of what He has done for you. There is no condemnation in you. In fact, He says in 1 John 5, or John says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know not cross your fingers and hope, so that you may know that you have eternal life. You are not condemned, not because you don't deserve condemnation. You do deserve it. But you're not condemned because Jesus, once and for all, paid your price for you. Praise God for who Jesus is. You are not condemned. So don't let your enemy lead you down the path of feeling condemned when you're not. You are set free. You know, we sang a song last week. I don't know how many of you were here last week, but I love it. It's one of my favorite. The song goes, um, let's see, who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. You know that song? You remember that? Oh, I love it. It goes on to say, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Uh, you are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. That is so important for us to not just sing but to believe and stand on what God promises us. We need to believe. We need to trust. We need to do more than just singing. We need to stand up, rejoice, do backflips, if you can do it without getting hurt, whatever it takes, but to believe and trust in the Lord. I am not condemned or guilty or someone who should worry about my salvation. I am a child of God forgiven and loved and saved by the blood of Jesus, and so are you. Amen? All right, verse 2. 
Oh, we're running out of time. Okay, can't do all of every verse that long. All right, here we go. Actually, Paul goes on to further explain and talk about what I'm trying to get across here in verses 2 through 17. Um, I want to focus on the end of the chapter primarily, so let's move on. Actually, let's just briefly at least read the end of, the sec- of this section of the chapter. Let me show you this. There's a lot that could be said. I don't have time to go into detail, but look at verses 12 and following. Romans 8, verse 12 and following. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. Yes, we are. There's that song again. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. I don't know if you know what that means. That's just a Greek term for when little kids would want to, they didn't say daddy, they said Abba, 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 because that's, that's the same thing. Daddy, we are allowed to say daddy in that sense. Jesus uses the same word in Mark 14. Anyway, the Spirit Himself, continuing in verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We are children of Him. In fact, verse 23 says we're adopted by Him. We're grafted in. Now, if we are children, he continues, then we are heirs, heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Oh, there's so much comfort and truth and power in this. From there down through the verse 27, Paul says, and remember, this is the Holy Spirit talking through Paul, actually. But anyway, Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit helps us understand and live out this glory, even to the point that he intercedes for us when we, can't, when we can't even utter the words or get the words out. The Holy Spirit speaks on our behalf. That's an incredible thought there as well. And then verse 28, one of the more famous verses, or at least often quoted in Christian circles around our world, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Incredible verse. This is a verse that can be very exciting and uh, comforting. It can also sometimes be troubling. It kind of depends on the situation, depends on your perspective, and bluntly, it, dis- it depends on your level of faith, your trust in the Lord. You know, as those in Celebrate Recovery often say, in fact, I was, I've been reading Rick Warren's book uh, from Saddleback Church where CR was started, and um, Purpose Driven Life, and the chapter I read yesterday, he used this quote. I hear CR people say it all the time, too, and that is that God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt. God has a purpose behind every problem. He uses difficult circumstances in our life to develop our character. Look at just a couple of verses Scripture says about this. In James, we read, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then back to Paul. He says this in Romans 5, kind of connecting some of those dots. He says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. There's a progression here. Paul even tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 to give thanks in all situations. 
in all. It doesn't say give thanks for all situations, but to give thanks in all, for, in all situations. You see, God uses our problems, our difficulties to draw us closer to Himself, to help us grow. Friends, think about this. If you never faced any hard stuff, if God functioned like a genie in the bottle or like Santa Claus and gave you everything you asked for and you never went through anything difficult, your spiritual muscles would, would wither. They would atrophy. That They would be non-existent. Hard stuff in life, which we all have faced. It may look different from one person to the next, but I'm talking about death and disease and you know, maybe job losses, a heartbreak in different ways, broken hearts, all these things. This stuff is hard. That's why we call it hard stuff. But God's Word tells us, and it is true, that we can know that in all things, even the hard stuff, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. A lady named Johnny Erickson Tata, she was a teenager, and she dove into the water one time, um, not very carefully, and hit her head and was paralyzed. It became a quadriplegic and has no use of anything below her neck. And yet, and she was suicidal feeling at, at one point, and I've heard her talk, and she went into detail, great detail, similar to Nick Vujicic, Vujicic I never say that right probably, but um, Chad uh, Young and, and I and some others, a number of you went and heard his, heard his story a couple of weeks ago. He's a guy who was actually born without arms and legs, even, you know, at least uh, Johnny Erickson Tata had them at one point. But anyway, Johnny Erickson Tata once said, when life is rosy, I just... I love the wisdom coming from a person who is in a wheelchair like her to be able to say this. When life is rosy, we may slide by with knowing about God, imitating Him, quoting Him, speaking of Him, but it is only in suffering that we know Jesus, that we really know Him as opposed to knowing about Him. We learn things about God in suffering that we cannot learn any other way. And that's a person in a wheelchair talking. Problems lead us to focus on God rather than to focus on ourselves. You know, God could have kept Joseph from being sold into slavery by his brothers. He could have kept Daniel from being thrown into the lion's den. Could have kept Jeremiah from being tossed into a slimy pit, Ruth from being widowed, Job from losing everything he had. He could have kept Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from being thrown into the fiery furnace. Could have kept Jonah from being swallowed by the great fish or whale and eventually vomited out. I mean, wow. He could have kept Paul from being repeatedly beaten and shipwrecked. Could have kept Stephen from being stoned to death. He could have kept Mary from having to watch her own son die on a cross for sins he did not commit. But God allowed every bit of that and more, much more. He left those difficult situations to play out. He allowed them to play out. Let each of these people and so many more face incredibly hard stuff. And every one of those people, if you read God's Word and read their story, every one of those people were drawn closer to God as a result. With God's help, we can grow through what we go through. It's a crossroad. It's a why. We can turn and become angry and bitter, or we can turn the other way and become better instead of bitter. Uh, I don't have time to go into detail, but yesterday, a couple of days, the last couple of days, Kim and I uh, had some free vouchers, so we went to San Francisco. 
for Valentine's Day. And uh, two days ago, we got in an Uber with a man named Alejandro. Um, and, and we got to talk, and we talked for 20, 30 minutes or something. And the conversation just kind of naturally went down the road of faith. I can't remember how we got started there. But he was very open and just said, I don't believe in God. I don't. I don't. I used to. I do sometimes. But most of the time, I don't believe in God. I said, why? What, what, why is that? Well, and he went down the road of where a lot of people would in, in response to this passage. Too many bad things. I've just, I've prayed. I have talked to God and prayed about this or this or this. And he went into some things that have happened that he asked God to help with. And that didn't happen. God didn't answer my prayer in other words, he didn't function like Santa Claus and give him what he wanted in those moments every time. And therefore, I don't believe in God. And I was able to tell him, you know, Alejandro, I felt the same way. I have at times felt that way. I've got many friends who've got way worse stories, harder stories than mine. But when I was 22 and my mother at age 44 died of a brain tumor, I was angry. I was upset. I didn't, I didn't like Romans 8.28. What do you mean all things work together for good? I don't, I don't see that. I don't, be, I don't believe that. I'm not buying that. But Alejandro, here's how I got past that. And I talked with him about the fact that even when I didn't believe in God, I knew God still believed in me. And that even though I was angry at God, God loved me. And He sent His only Son to die for me, which is something that we hear so often that it can kind of begin to be, we begin to become numb to it, and it can go in one ear and out the other. But let me ask you, Alejandro, or let me ask you, friends, what more could God possibly do to prove His love for you, to be more convincing, more sacrificial, than to send His one and only Son to our world, to put on skin, leaving heaven behind, come down here, and walk the humble life that He did, and eventually allow His creation, the people He created, to mock Him, spit on Him, beat Him, and murder Him on a cross. Is there something, well, God, okay, that was pretty cool, but you could have done even more. You could have proven your love even better if you'd have done this. What would this look like? I can think of nothing. What more could He have done? And as our conversation ended, Alejandro was like, you know, you're making me think a lot. I will think a lot more about that. And, and we began to have some really awesome conversation, and we prayed, and we'll see. I, I just, I'll probably never see him again, but I pray the Lord helps him know the truth. For those who love him, God works for the good, of, for the good in all things. All right, in conclusion, which you know what that means, right? When a pre preacher says in conclusion, it means another 20 minutes, right? No, <clears throat> no but I've got... Exactly one minute according to my clock, so I'll be real quick here. Verse 31, as the band comes up, let me tell you this. Verse 31 says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer, of course, is no one and no thing. Has there ever been a better rhetorical question in the history of rhetorical questions than that? If God is for us, who can be against us? Somebody say amen. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Some people, like my, my, like my Latino friend, some people doubt God's love. I've been there before. Maybe you're there now or have been. 
Maybe you need to understand what else, think about what else God could have done. There is nothing more He could do to prove His love for you. It's just a matter of you trusting Him. Not just believing He exists. Demons do that. But trusting Him, leaning into Him with all you've got, saying, Lord, I'm all yours. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If it is, it is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? You know, we all need to understand and listen to the right voices of truth, the voice of truth in our minds. Have you ever heard the joke, you know, roses are red, violets are blue, I'm schizophrenic, and so am I, because there's a whole bunch of voices in there, whole bunch of voices. I feel that way at times. I'm a pastor, and I struggle sometimes. I hear hear different voices. I'm like, wait a minute. That's not God's voice. How do you discern? How do you know the difference? You spend time in God's Word. Maybe you listen to a preacher some, but mostly spend time in God's Word. Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. Read the book and see that God loves you and is who He says He is. Here's how the chapter ends. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life. In other words, everybody dies, but only one rose to life. He is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So here's how it ends, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Who shall shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It's a pretty long list. It's not exhaustive, but that's a long list of bad stuff. He goes on to say, as it is written, quoting from the Old Testament, for, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, life is hard. I mean, Jesus tells us in John 16, in this life you will have trouble. Don't think that, oh, I surrendered my life to the Lord, therefore He's going to roll out a red carpet and life's going to be hunky-dory and smooth sailing and easy now. No, no, smooth sailing never made a great sailor. It is the difficult stuff that we grow through. So He says, yeah, all that's going to happen, but what can separate us? Can anything? Verse 37, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Stand with me, if you would, as we close. Stand with me. Here's what it says. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights nor depth, or anything in all creation will be able to, be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. Thank you, Lord Almighty, for your truth and your love. We know that perfect love casts out all fear. And we know that your love is perfect. And so, Lord, I pray that you would cast out all fear. Help us to trust you with all we've got. Not not just believe you exist, but believe in you to the point that we trust you and we lean into you. Not lean on our own own understanding, but trust in you with everything we've got. So as we sing and worship you right now, Lord, would you be honored? May you be honored. May you be glorified. And may we surrender to you. And if need be, make decisions to honor you. Come forward. Pray with others. Surrender our lives, whatever it looks like. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people together one more time said, 